Uh, let me pray with you, and then we are going to jump into our third week of The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And I want to talk to you about something that most of us need to hear um, and struggle with, and that is the need for rest. So let's pray, and we'll begin. Father, um, I thank you not only for the good news that Jesus Christ is coming, but that he has come. And he didn't come to judge, and he didn't come shame. He came to offer his life as a sacrifice for us all. I thank you for the invitation that he's extended to us, that we can follow him and become like him. Father, I do pray that in this moment um, that you would just clear our minds and our hearts to be receptive to what you would say to us and what it looks like to mimic him in this life, in this world, in this time, and help us to do that well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go through kind of our cultural shift and change that we are all experiencing, I've said before, and I want to remind us, as if you have forgotten, uh, that we are going through, as a culture, more change today than any other previous generation in the history of humanity as we know it. Um, There is no group of people that has been required to shift in the way that they function and operate than we have. And along with that, a good part of that is not only industrialization, but just the development of technology, which is a result of industrialization. What we have begun to do is work ourselves to death, literally to death. Um, In fact, if you talk to anybody in general, um, one of the the things that um, when someone wants to talk with me or meet with me that always just kind of gives me a twinge of guilt, is when someone comes up and says, hey, I know you're busy, but I like to talk to you sometime. Uh, when we talk with other people, when we talk about life, one of the very first things that we say when we say we, people catch up and maybe you haven't seen somebody in a while, how are things going? Oh, they're just so busy. When we talk about our kids, if you have young children and you're thinking about some time that you just get to rest and recover from work, and you are involved in any kind of extracurricular at all, in your mind you're thinking, I just would really love a night off, but we're just so busy. And the reality is, we have gotten busier and busier and busier as a people over the last several decades, last few hundred years, to a point where today, uh, literally... Uh, physicians and psychologists have begun to coin a term for what it looks like to work yourself to death. You can literally work yourself to death. We've discovered that with ongoing busyness and a lack of rest and a lack of ability to be restored, your body begins to attack itself. We begin to create um, all kinds of levels of cortisol within our, our brains, which begins to attack our brains and deteriorate our brains. And as our stress grows, often our depression grows, anxiety grows, and I don't think it's any surprise that with this great change that we're experiencing and with the pace of life continuing to speed up to a 24-7 pace of life, that kids today are growing up in a generation that's been called the most anxious generation. It is something that drives us the need to perform, the need to succeed, the need to earn the need to experience everything you can possibly experience, the rapid rise of the fear of missing out, 
Uh, it pushes us to a place where our bodies just are not able to function at that constant level. Now, before we had electricity and we had lights, we were governed primarily by the sun and the moon. And so when the sun went down, there wasn't a whole lot we could do. We would slow down and we would spend time around uh, maybe a fire or some candles and we would spend time with our families and we would turn in and then we would be up as soon as the sun was ready to come up again. The winter time would normally be a time where we would rest. We would slow down. We would kind of stop because uh, we didn't need to go out and grow. We didn't need to plant crops. This was a time of just kind of keeping, bringing together what we've grown and what we've gathered over the last season. And now it's time for us to slow down and hunker down and to be warm and to be together and just allow ourselves to recover, waiting for the spring to come in which we would then go out and begin the hard work again. But today, I would dare say the busiest time of our lives is in the winter, not the slowest. And so as we go through all of these changes that we're experiencing, the reality is, is this takes a toll on us. Now, the way, the truth, and the life is a series about becoming like Christ. And one of the things that I want to show you today is that Jesus modeled over and over again the need for rest and that we have a need for rest. And if we ignore that need for rest, it is not that God is going to be mad at us. But the reality is, is that we ourselves begin to deteriorate because we were not created to sustain this kind of a pace. The Journal of the American Medical Association um, published an article called Psychological Stress and Disease, and it says this. Generally, stressful events are thought to influence the pathogenesis of physical disease by causing feelings of anxiety and depression, which in turn direct effects on biological processes or behavioral patterns that influence disease risk. Exposure to chronic stress are considered the most toxic because they are the most likely to result in long-term or permanent changes in the emotional, physiological, and behavioral responses that influence susceptibility to and course of disease. This is not a religious publication, a medical publication saying this constant pace and this constant stress, constant anxiety, constant depression, which all, you, almost always follows that kind of a pace of life, will likely lead to disease among us. Like idols we talked about last week, a lot of the things that we get busy with are just good things. We talked about worship and worship being putting the right priority of things and are the right things in the right priority. And oftentimes when we talk, start talking about idolatry, it's it's not that we do bad things. It's not that we take bad things and we uh, we worship bad things. There's not a whole lot of true Satan worshipers out there. We tend to use that as the extreme of what it means to be an idolater. But but we can we can idolize really good things. Things that should be in our lives, things that God would want to be in our lives, but yet we can place them in, in, a, in a part of the priority that overtakes the things that are truly important in life. And what often happens when we lose rest and we're not able to recover is that we do the very same thing. Good things that are placed in an unrealistic place of priority in which they begin to harm us. As we go through scripture, this is literally one of the very first instructions God has given us. As we go through and I share some of these things with you, I want you to consider what does your rhythm of rest look like within your life? 
Now, there's some faith traditions, and including the tradition of the church that we're meeting in, is one in which um, a Sabbath is taking, a time of rest is taking at the very same time, on the very same day, in the very same way, every single week. And while we don't hold to that same rigidity around the Sabbath, there is a rhythm that must and be involved in our lives that brings some, some type of rest and some type of restoration so that we have anything in which to function with, any kind of margin and any kind of resource within us to be able to function in the world. As we look at what God was teaching us from the beginning, he was telling us, you are going to need to at times just stop. Not slow down, but just stop. And not just when you're burned out. Before you get burned out, you're just going to have to take periods in your life that you're going to have to stop. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, at the very beginning of the story of creation, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When we receive the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is that you will take a period of, of stopping to rest. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we went through this in our, our study of Exodus. There, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength, but you are unwilling. Now I do know there are people that do not struggle with a theology of rest, but instead have the opposite problem. They rest all the time. And so it's easy for us to pick out the people that we think are not doing this well. The very easy culprit, whenever we decide that work is a value and it is incredibly important, is we pick on the person who's not working hard enough. On the opposite side of the spectrum, the person who does not want to spend all every waking moment working on something looks at the person who is working nonstop and never rests as a workaholic, and they are equally uh, deserving of some kind of judgment from culture. Reality is, for a lot of us, busyness has become a value, and in many ways, the very things we keep ourselves busy with have actually become our identity. We like telling people we're busy. <laughs> If you kind of run in the circles of entrepreneurs, you find that entrepreneurs love to talk about how busy they are. They want a little bit of pity, but they want you to know they're being successful. And so I'm busy because I'm doing a good job. Or I'm busy and a lot of people are trusting me. Busy becomes a value. And instead, what it may be doing is destroying us. Because in addition to destroying our bodies, it destroys your relationships. When do we have time to just sit 
and be quiet. There are times we'll get together and especially around the Christmas season when Deidre and I are beginning to talk about, so what does it look like? What are we going to do for the kids for Christmas? And we get together to plan and um, we, our, our works are busy. Church calendar can be a little bit busy at Christmas. Uh, and then just the things we have to do for work. And um, we're in basketball season now, which for two kids, um, which is all in the same season too. And so we will kind of rush to a, a date in order for us to talk about what we're going to do for Christmas, because we can't talk about it at the house. And so we will plan a date, and we'll go, and this year we went to our favorite Mexican place, and we sat down, and we're like, okay, let's hammer this out. we got to hammer this out right now. And that's different than when we have a rhythm of rest in which we can just set aside time, and we can just go and just be with each other. The conversations we have in those moments tend to be deeper, more important, there are times when we talk about what's life about, what do we want from life, what do we want for life, what's going well and what's not going well, versus, okay, we have an hour and we've got something we've got to accomplish, let's get there and let's talk about this one thing and get it done and now let's go do the next thing. Those are two very different experiences for Deidre and I. And if we don't have time that is unrushed and unhurried, that we can just be together and let a natural flow of just how are our lives merging with each other. If that doesn't happen, then things begin to get more and more tense between us. And for us, whether we're talking about the health of our parents or we're talking about work or other issues that we have to solve within our lives, we have discovered that throughout our marriage, we are together very able to deal with lots of challenges. But if we haven't taken that time to just slow down and be together and let our lives overlap in a way that is unrushed and unhurried, the tension between us grows in those moments versus when we've taken that time to just settle and be quiet and still together, we tend to approach challenges as a team, backing each other up and helping us through it, where they actually become moments that strengthen us, not weaken us. The way we rest, it matters. The effect it has on us, it matters. And when we go through and we look at the life of Jesus, this was not something that the greatest uh, man of all time, the greatest human who ever lived, who was perfect and flawless, this was something he said, I need this too. And I believe it was not just trying to say, I need it. He was trying to show us that if even the Son of God needs rest, you do too. You need these moments. Jesus constantly demonstrated his and our need for rest. I have a story of Jesus one Sabbath walking through a field. And based on the law that I just read you from Exodus, it had come to be understood that you would do nothing. You would not lift your finger to do anything. And as they began to grow, it increased from just your basic work day to just anything. Like you can't do anything. You can't lift a finger to do any work or you would displease God. And they had a, a, uh, a way to allow those who were in need to eat when they didn't have enough. So whenever you would harvest your field, you would grow a field and it would grow. You would harvest your field. You would not harvest every square inch of your field. You would leave the edges of your field for those who were wandering through that area. If they didn't have enough, they could just pick some on their way so they would have enough as well. And in this scenario, Jesus' disciples are walking through and they're going to the next place 
they're doing this on the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday sundown until Sunday, or I'm sorry, Friday sundown until Saturday sundown. And it says, one Sabbath he was going through the grain field, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing that? Is it not That is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, but also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The point being, I gave you the Sabbath not to have another rule that you have to follow. I gave you the Sabbath because, or God the Father gave you the Sabbath because you need it. We all need it. Now, what's interesting is, in our current work culture, the specific law was work six days, take one day off. And most of us work five days and take two days off. And some of you will work a whole lot for four days and maybe take three days off or, or whatever. But the instruction was work six days, but one day should be set aside and it should be holy. One of the things I want to share with you is what does it mean to take a Sabbath? And it doesn't just simply mean that we relax or that we go do something fun, although the Sabbath isn't meant to have a time for you to do something that is fun. Jesus went away to be re-energized through prayer, through meditation, spending personal time with his close friends. We see over and over again, he went away by himself to pray. He went to a quiet place. He took his disciples to a quiet place. At times he went by himself. At times he took somebody with him. There was this constant need for him to get away. And interestingly, from a a pastor's point of view, there were many times in which a large crowd would be there. And if you're a pastor and you have a large crowd, um, you don't want to leave. And yet he would just leave. So I need to go away. I need to get away. I need to get away and rest. I need to get away and pray. I need to get away to a quiet place. I don't think any of you need me to convince you that you need rest. Most of you can come to that conclusion all on your own. I don't need somebody to tell me when I need rest. I can feel it. I know it. The question is, is what does it look like? And how do we do it? <coughs> One of the things we do need to understand is that the, the New Testament text is written in Greek, and there are two words that are often used for time. One of those words is the word chronos. And it just literally means a quantity of time. It's how we measure time. It's a volume of time. A day, a week, a month, a second, a minute. And then they use another word to talk about a quality of time. That word is kairos. Because you can spend a quantity of time doing something and it yet not be quality time. Some of you, that might be when you get your screen time report and you realize you've uh, scrolled through Instagram or Facebook or TikTok for two hours straight and you didn't know, you don't know where the time went. You spent time, you may not have been working, but was that quality time that led to rest and restoration? Probably not. There's a difference in just spending time and setting aside a quality of time. 
A time with purpose, a time with intention, a time that is not simply, well, I'll just sit here for a minute and, and, you know, not do anything. That can be Cairo's time for you, but it also can just be, well, I'm just going to sit here and not be intentional about this time. You have to understand the difference that there's a quality of time that he's calling us to, not just a quantity. We also have to understand what the word Sabbath really means. And, and literally the word Sabbath means to cease working. To cease working. What would happen, and you can answer this in your own head, and if you don't think you know what the answer is, I would encourage you to try it this week. What would happen if I said, I want you to go out today, and I just want you to sit without doing anything, for two hours. Do you? How many of you think you could do? And I don't mean falsely, all right? Because the first thing most of us would be be like, "Oh, man, I'm too late." Well, that two hours went by really fast. Like, uh, for example, you would just sit down in a chair and maybe listen to some music. Is that a good example? Or is that a you bad could thing? listen to music? But what if you just could you sit in quiet for any time? Most of us, let's be honest, um, if you've grown up in the church, somebody like me stood up here and said, you need to pray for 10 minutes every day. And then at some point you tried it, and then about a minute and a half, you're like, I'm not going to make it. Like, what am I supposed to do for this next eight and a half minutes here? I'm just sitting here. Or can you be with someone? It can be a friend, it can be a family member, it can be spouse, a child, it can can you just sit with someone and just be in their presence without having to do something? And most of us, the answer truly is, I, I, I don't know. I never tried that. I never, I literally never do that. I don't mean reading through social media. I don't mean something's on TV. Yeah, I sat for two hours yesterday watching a movie. I don't mean that. I mean, just you and your thoughts. What would happen if you sat there for two hours? Just you and your thoughts. I, most of us would have no idea, because most of us have not developed the ability to be still and quiet. <coughs> it's so easy to be busy. It's so easy to be distracted. And the busier we get, and the more depressed, and the more anxious we get, the easier it is to just fill that depression and anxiety with more stuff so we don't think about it. If something's going wrong, we don't have a tendency to deal with the thing going wrong. We have a tendency to distract ourselves and do something else, so that way we don't have to think about what's going wrong. And yet Jesus constantly said, you need this time to be still and quiet. I imagine those were lessons that were hard to learn, especially for his disciples when he would pull them aside. and They were used to working. I mean, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. For Jesus to say, stop. But it reminds us also when we study through the book of Exodus, when we have the giving of manna and God said, I'm going to give you just enough for you to eat for today, except on Friday you're going to gather twice as much and it's going to last you through the Sabbath. And if you try to save any of it, except on the Sabbath, it's going to go bad. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure it lasts you through the Sabbath, but any other day you, you collect extra it's going to go bad and you won't be able to eat it the next day. I'm going to give you enough for what you need. 
There is this constant calling to us that there are seasons of life, and those seasons need a rhythm that allows us to stop. It's one of the reasons I think those moments when Deidre and I are unrushed and unhurried and we don't have an agenda when we get together and we can just sit and we can just be there together and we can be still is it allows us to think about things we never think about at any other time. It also allows us just to enjoy this moment that we are here together. When there's always an agenda and always a thing that has to be done, it's hard to just enjoy one another. It's one of the reasons that the Sabbath, this experience of Sabbath, shouldn't just be something we do when we come to church, because oftentimes we are also doing something here. Right now you're listening to me. You were singing a few minutes ago. You're going to sing again. We're going to leave. Some of you are going to help pack up and clean up and move stuff around. But even in our time with God, we need a moment in which we are just still and we are quiet and we are experiencing him. And we are unrushed and we are unhurried and we're not thinking about the thing that we need God to do right now. It's just simply sitting here pondering God and his impact on our lives. We love him, that he is taking care of us. The literal definition of Sabbath is to cease working. So how do we do this? As I've shared with you, taking some... Some of these ideas are coming from a book called Beautiful Resistance, and the author is John Tyson. He suggests these four things. I have found these consistent in lots of people that have done work in what is a true Sabbath. Number one is just simply resist work in that moment. Now, I'm a person who likes to get ahead. I don't know about you. I don't like to just get something done at the moment it like it has to be done. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I don't like it. I like to get ahead. I like to be able to know that, oh, you know what? I <clears throat> This is going to be due, but it's already done. Y'all ever enjoy doing that? The way that I get ahead sometimes is I take the time that I can be still and I can be quiet and I can just sit and I use it to get it done. And ideally what would happen is once I get it done, then I've just freed up time that I can sit and be quiet later. But no, that encroaches on another time of life in which I'm going to fill with something else because I will find other things to work on. I'm a really bad example for someone who keeps the Sabbath, just so you know. Deidre and I, for the last couple of years, we have committed that we need to do better, taking more time, being more intentional, and we have seen benefits of that as well. If you want to take a Sabbath, you want to experience the kind of rest God says you need, Jesus demonstrated that he needed and that we should do, it does have a component of just resisting work. And resisting work feels like, oh, simple. I don't like work anyways. But the reality is a lot of us get our value and our identity from our work. And to resist it means to resist the very thing that makes us feel good about ourselves. So resisting work may feel more difficult than you think it is. Mara Dawn said this. She said, on the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and instead have put our lives back into his control. Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to his sovereign hands all the things that are beyond our control and terrifying us. Once those things are safely there, and as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, 
our emotions can find truly comforting and healing rest. If you want to develop a rhythm of rest, you have to resist the desire to work all the time. I do like the desire to work, by the way. We still have six other days, so we do not resist work. But we need to have time, and not time once a year. Not just when we go on vacation, but a regular season of our weekly schedule to resist work. The second thing is to allow rest to restore you. Because there is a difference in me sitting in front of a TV for two hours watching some show or some movie or whatever. There's a difference in doing that and spending two hours of intentional time where I'm just trying to be at peace. Trying to be quiet. John Tyson says this, the movement from exhaustion to rest is a movement from fear to trust. A movement from anxiety to peace. A movement from control to surrender. The rest requires intentionality. We need to learn the skill of resting. We need spiritual rest to stop our need to be on mission for God and do things for his kingdom. To stop our need to resist the culture around us and instead enjoy God's good gifts. We need physical rest to sleep deeply, delight our senses, release stress, step back, and recover from the pace of modern life. We need emotional rest to lower our guard and be ourselves before God, to lay down the concerns and conflicts of the weak and be known and loved by him. We need intellectual rest to stop having to deconstruct the lies and stories around us and instead feast on truth. We need social rest, to take a break from having to be on and give out to those around us, to enjoy acceptance and love from our father and friends. The third thing we need is to remember our true identity. One of the reasons that God reinstated the Sabbath moment for a group of people who have just been liberated from an incredibly harsh work conditions was to remind them your value is not in what you do. Your value is in who you are. And who are you? You are made in the image of God, unconditionally loved. And you are invited to be in his family and to walk with him and be with him and experience his goodness, not just follow his rules. The idea of Sabbath reminds us that God doesn't ask us to do things just to see us jump through hoops. God asks us to do things because he knows what we need to live a good life. If you do not work ever, you are not likely to have a good life. And even if you are independently wealthy, which I from time to time decide I'm going to be independently wealthy, It's not worked out exactly the way I thought it was when I tried it, but um, apparently you need some resources in order for that to work. But even if you're independently wealthy and you don't feel like you even need to work, there is something about being productive and adding to the community that is part of God's plan for humanity. If you remember, he put Adam and Eve in the garden not just to sit and enjoy the bananas or the palm trees or coconuts or pineapple, I think, 
I think pineapple was the last thing God made, and he decided to rest because he just wanted to enjoy the pineapple. That's my favorite fruit. I don't have any biblical foundation for that. I'm just making that up. But I like pineapple a lot. He didn't put Adam in even garden and say, you know what, just go for a swim. So I want you to manage this. I want you to work with me. I want you to to, to continue on what I've started. I, I want you to you're, you're going to name the animals. You're going to kind of make sure everything's working the way it should. God's always seen that there's something within us that needs work. And I've seen something in people that just either have to stop working or choose to stop working. And work is not just something where you get a paycheck. But when someone just sits all day, they're going to die. First, they're going to die emotionally. They're going to die relationally. They're going to die. Their depression is going to increase. But then their body is going to just stop functioning because it truly does, it is true. Use it or lose it. We have to work, but then we still have to rest. We have to take that time to let it to restore us. I used to love to do a, a sermon series, and maybe we'll do it again sometime. I used to love to do a sermon series on the five love languages. You remember the five love languages? Everybody know what your love language is? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, uh, you know, find yours. Well, one of the things I love about it was not just the five love languages. The things I, I loved about it was how he described the necessity of margin in order to have anything to offer. He called it a love bank. And in the idea of a love bank, you have to be taking in deposits in order to have something to take to, to make withdrawals from, just like your bank or your checking account. I, I can uh, pay as much as I want, but once the, the money's gone, I can buy as much as I want, but once the money's out of my account, I can't buy anymore. They're not gonna, they're not gonna let me buy anymore. Same thing, whenever we're trying to love our spouse, if we're not ourselves receiving love, we're eventually gonna give up and not wanna share love anymore. I don't care, I'm not getting anything out of this. But instead, we need these constant deposits that demonstrate I love you and I'm with you and I want to be with you and I want to help you. And, and as we get these deposits, it builds us up and it encourages us, gives us margin and it gives us something by which we can then give to others because God's design for relationships is, is mutually sacrificing for each other, helping each other. And the same way, you have to have something by which to work from. You have to have something by which to feel life is good. And even if we want to go around telling everyone around about Jesus, if, if every way, in every way they look at you, you are miserable, why would they want the Jesus that you're talking about? Because the way it's working out in your life is you are miserable. And people who never rest are miserable. Life doesn't feel good. It feels like it's only, the only good parts are there because I'm working myself to death to have them. And we forget God has given us what we need. And remember our identity is not in what we do. Our identity is in who we are. I think that's one thing that we have to be very careful in. Over the years, I remember the very first church I became a pastor of, I was so excited because they said, and, and, uh, and kind of the, the interview process I went through, they were like, what we really need here is a CEO. I was like, I like 
I like thinking of myself as a CEO. That sounds important. I like that. I found out that was perhaps the most destructive perspective of church leadership that you could possibly have because what we have a tendency to do when we become CEO is we just kind of use people for a, as a means to an end. And your value we begin to communicate is not in who you are, but it is what you do for the church. Sometimes I'm incredibly guilty of not asking people to do stuff. And I'll have somebody come up to me and say, would you just let me help? Some of you are in this room and you're guilty of this very thing. You know, part of the reason for that, and that's not, this is not like a humble brag. Part of the reason for that is I have just learned how devastating it is to use people as tools. But you can go too far in the other direction as well. Your value is in who you are. God looks at you and doesn't say, I love you because what you're doing for my church. I love you because what you're doing for the kingdom. I love you because you're being good and they're not. I love you because you're keeping eight of the Ten Commandments and they're only keeping two of the Ten Commandments. I don't really love them as much. I love you for what you're doing. Instead, he says, no, I love you because of who you are. And part of our rest is reminding ourselves of that. If you work for somebody who treats you like you don't matter, you get this. You get this. But if you work in a place where you're constantly encouraged that you're just awesome, oh, it's so easy to slip into the idea that I am what I do. The fourth thing in taking a Sabbath is to revel in God's goodness. Interestingly, not only do we have things like the Ten Commandments, we also have instructions to party. We call them feasts and festivals. Sometimes it said, I work hard, but I play hard. That's a biblical concept. Uh, maybe not in all the ways we work and all the ways we play. <laughs> but the idea of working hard and playing hard is a biblical concept. And one of the reasons we party and we play hard and we have fun and why a portion of your Sabbath should be on something you enjoy is because it reminds you that life is good and we are good and God is good. And no matter what challenges we're facing, it's okay. Have fun. We remember what God has given us and develops thankfulness and gratefulness within us. Again, either you feel the need for rest or you don't. I'm not going to convince you otherwise on that. But if you are someone who feels the need for rest, these are some of the ways you can do it. If you don't feel that you are someone who needs rest, either you're not doing any, any work the rest of the week, or you might be so attuned to your work that it has become your identity. And you need to ask yourself, what would happen if I stopped for two, two hours, and I went and I just sat for two hours? What, what would happen? Imagine you'll go through a number of emotional and theological and ideological changes within your own mind in that two hours, just sitting there trying to be still. The way the Truth of Life series is all about becoming like Jesus. So following Jesus means following his examples to be intentional about our work, but also about our need to rest, to restore us to health, remind us that life is good, and revel in the goodness of God. Here's what I want to close with. 
This is Jesus' invitation to us. This is what he said this was supposed to all be about. This is what he said your life will be like if you decide to be my disciple. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the ways that we can work hard and go do hard things and deal with stress effectively is by recognizing that he has called us also in those moments for intentional times to step away and to rest and to be restored. And while there's plenty of things we can talk about following Jesus and the work we should do, we've got to be able to have the margin and the bank by which to do it with, which is usually built through a Sabbath. If you're not taking a Sabbath, I would encourage you to do that. Some of the ways that Deidre and I have done that is um, Saturdays end up getting busy with lots of different things, Monday through Friday is work, and while we're here technically, I guess, working in some capacity on Sunday mornings, typically we uh, do less of that on Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings. We'll go sometimes play pickleball, sometimes we'll go um, do nothing, we'll go out to eat, um, we'll go do something fun, and sometimes we don't, sometimes we just go back to work. We have those weeks that we don't do it as well. I would encourage you, if you're not having intentional conversations on what a Sabbath looks like within your family, to develop that. And I don't just mean time when watching TV, but I mean intentional time when you're together. And see what it does within your relationships and within your life and within your soul. Pray with me.